0: Forget all you know about the podcast. We welcome, we welcome experience, experience, uniquely divict. Please join us for our coverage of all entertainment on the fringe of
1: The candles are lit, the lights are down low, it is now
0: time for our host as he steps up to the 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 pulpit the sacrifice has been prepared, prepared for the midnight for the
1: midnight.
0: Ghastly greetings, groovy Ghoulies, and welcome back to the Midnight Black Mass. I am your host, as always, the devil you know, the maniacal minister of the occult, the Reverend Dan Wilson, here for another edition of the program. Kicking things off solo, Andrew Alexander, still on the mend, but he'll be back here in just a few weeks, and you'll still hear his docile tones later in the program as we discuss our favorite funny moments in professional wrestling but you say rev you're always bitching about comedy wrestling and how you don't really care for it and it's not one of your personal preferences and uh, the old time saying a funny no money and all this so why would you talk about your favorite comedy segments we're going to talk a lot about that actually going to talk about uh, when you know kind of is the right time to use comedy in traditional professional wrestling setting when is kind of the wrong time to use it uh, what are our favorite uh, intentional and unintentional funny moments in professional wrestling? So going to be an interesting discussion recorded again a couple of months ago before Andrew got out. But we're about to run out of things to to play, so I hope it gets better soon. I don't have much left in the can here on the Midnight Black Mass. But a fun show I took actually took off last week during the Royal Rumble. Uh, that was big news, big stuff. And the WWE, of course, putting on one of their premier events of the year. Uh, a lot of people had a lot of reactions both to that and the Monday Night Raw after. Of course, you'd have to be living under a rock to know uh, by now that, or to not know that AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, debuted in the Royal Rumble. Uh, so I've got—I'm in a really good mood to start off the show this week because uh, my buddy AJ had a great showing in the Rumble and he had a great showing. On Monday Night Raw against Chris Jericho. And, you know, been a lot of questions. Was he going to be treated like a star in the WWE? Was he going to be able to adapt? And by all intents and purposes, uh, by all of the evidence set before us, looks like he's doing just fine. And uh, is on the way to becoming a major superstar on a level even bigger than he already was. So, uh, and what an unprecedented move because he did it on his terms. You know, I've been following his journey since the year 2000. And only been in the business a year, and he hadn't been in the business much longer. I think it was late '98 when he first started training, and so uh, you know we were both young guys in the business coming up at that time. And I was essentially his pitch man in the days of NWA Wildside before anybody else knew about him. He was homegrown there and trained, and uh, but from day one, you could tell there was just something so incredibly special about this guy uh, from the little movements that he made in the ring the way he sold things, his natural instincts, uh, and, of course, his amazing athletic ability and the, the amazing moves he could pull off. Uh, but the, the rapid rate at which he progressed was something else that people were just blown away by, even in the early days. So, um, yeah, I'm the guy who came up with the name Phenomenal for AJ Styles, and I'm so very proud that he still uses that to this day. Watts on his first WWE t-shirt, I am phenomenal. And he still gives me credit for that. You can go back to listen to the episode of the midnight black mass where we had him on here as a guest. And he, of course uh, verified that story. If anybody was doubting it, but uh it's a matter of the public record. It was on AJ's Wikipedia, but somebody took it off of there. Somebody trying to hate, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just thought it was unnecessary, but probably you don't really get a explanation of anybody else's nickname. So why would you his, but Uh, But it's cool. Like, again, just so excited for him. So very happy. Uh, And, and you know, I was also in the room the first time the Styles Clash was attempted in a ring in a workout session. Uh, The actual origin of the move came from somewhere else. But that is uh, that's something that's just going to stay back here in the (laughs) in in the annals of secrecy. So uh, but but yeah, I was there the first time that he attempted the move. I was the first person to call that move on television, uh, watch his career blossom as he went to WCW. And then of course the rug pulled out from under him. He comes back. Uh, and, but you, during this whole time, my job is to push him, to pump him, to hype him as the best damn professional wrestler on the planet. And I believed it. I truly believed it in the year 2000. And I believe it today. Uh, and, a lot of that in the year 2000 was based off of the potential and what you thought he could become. Cause certainly he learned a lot of things over the years and he got so much better with time and opponents, but he always just had that it factor. And so I've been a guy who's been right there, just like his biggest cheerleader the whole time, because you know, he makes us proud. He makes all of us down at the old NWA wild side, NCW uh, developmental camp, so to speak very very proud because he represents everything he was taught there and then some he's always given back he's always maintained a tremendous attitude i can call him right now as busy as he is and he would be right there and uh, you know like you you can't find many people like that anywhere much less in professional wrestling so you know a quality human being of the highest fucking order man and uh, it's just, like I'm, I'm marking out. I'm so fucking on cloud nine for him, man. Uh, and I remember there, Bill had faxed to the office when I, there was a, a time when I was Bill Barron's assistant, the, the vice president of show business entertainment, uh, the lofty position that it was. And uh, when Bill went over his first TNA contract and, you know, they had agreed to terms, he faxed it over to the office and I had to hand deliver it to AJ. So, uh, I, I, shit you not when I say I have been there the entire time for this journey and now to see him treated like a star on his own terms. Do you understand how difficult that is in 2016 for a guy with no experience as far as being a headliner in a WCW because there was no WCW, uh, WWE traditionally has not viewed TNA as competition. They have snubbed their nose at them. I know things have changed over the years, of course. You see the great TNA talents like Samoa Joe, uh, James Storm, and others appearing on WWE broadcasts. So you know that that stigma has gone away. But there, there was a time in the industry where it was extremely prevalent that they just ignored TNA's existence completely. But AJ became a star there. And then he left, and he became a star in New Japan. And so he's a guy that's shown he can draw because he's AJ styles, not because of the company he's associated with, not because of the promotional machine behind him, but because he is who he is. And that's a once in a lifetime type of athlete. So huge. Congratulations. I've heard the rumors. I talked to bill a little bit, but I haven't really tried to bug them. You know, I know they're busy right now, so I just want to let them soak in the adulation of this moment. And, uh, just yeah just starting things off with a great 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 piece of news there and i enjoyed the royal rumble i know it was quite a polarizing event for a lot of fans uh, i'm not like a diehard wwe follower but i tell you what i will be as long as he's on the screen uh you know and that's not a knock on wwe at all they're the biggest powerhouse in the business uh their first class organization they've always treated me very well in my limited dealings with them uh but that that's not the point, you know. It's it's like as a guy who works in wrestling, as I've said before on the show, sometimes I just don't like to watch wrestling in my leisure time. I like to do other things. Wrestling is work still to some degree. So uh but with AJ on there, I'm not gonna miss a broadcast because, you know, as I said, I've I've followed him all the way through these many years, and he still makes me proud and now he's he's this worldwide. Superstar, it's just so incredible. Like, I can't wait to talk to him about what it's like to not be able to go to the fucking grocery store. You know, like that's something that most of us just can't even comprehend. But if you're a star on that level, eventually when you go somewhere, everyone's going to know who you are. So that's crazy. And then you talk about Cordelia, Georgia. You talk about the program that went on there for many years and still continues with why we wrestle at the uh, the NWA Anarchy ncw church of southern wrestling arena there in cornelia georgia um not only aj styles but in on monday night raw you see the former austin creed in nwa anarchy now well known as xavier woods as part of the new day in the middle of the ring taking the people's elbow from the rock and then i turn on NXT because that's one of my favorite shows. I I do watch that every week uh, for leisure because those guys do a hell of a job. And uh, I see the tag team champion, one half of the former New Wave of NWA Anarchy, Stephen Walters, now part of Dash and Dawson. No flips, just fists, baby. Those guys are fucking awesome, and they do that super like old school tag team style. And again, another product of the system. There, those are just the guys who are there who like went through the whole thing and you could call and they would say absolutely 100% working there taught me the fundamentals of what I needed to know. Then there were other guys like uh, the dude from NXT it was Apollo Cruz who made just like a one shot and Heath Slater. Like there's a ton of guys that just came in for a cup of coffee and didn't stay. But uh, you know, you, you have three guys there that actually went through the program and are still there on the TV and so many more worldwide. So, you know, just again, a continuing testament to the legacy of the star-making abilities of people like Bill Barons and the awesome crew he put together that I was thankfully part of. So, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. So, uh, I just want to start out with a happy news because, unfortunately, a little bit of sad news to kick off the program. Very sorry to hear that uh, the Mongolian stomper Archie Gouldy passed away at age 71 due to Alzheimer's complications. Uh, if you heard our episode with the Big Wood, who's the guy that trained me and Sean Tempers and a lot of other people, um, and, you know, respected promoter now, uh, Greg Hollander, now that he's a promoter, he's not, It doesn't go so much with the phallic reference for a name, <laughs> and now <coughs> goes by his real name, Greg Hollander. <laughs> so he probably wants to go with the less phallic name as the promoter. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. The Big Wood uh, had said that the Mongolian stomper, Archie Gouldie beat him worse than any man in his entire career ever beat him, that he still got a scar to this day from going against the stomper, and it was nothing but respect. He tells a great story about that when he appeared previously on the Midnight Black Mask podcast. So rest in peace, stomper. Uh, definitely. One of the last wild men alive. Uh, you know, like, uh, heard Cornette talking about on his podcast, like what, who Abdullah the Butcher, uh, Pampiro Furpo, they're about the only of the classic wild men left alive. That's what the, the rejects were always modeled after as tank and iceberg certainly embody those characteristics. Like nobody actually wants to fuck with those guys. They, you know, they, they definitely put off the vibe of maniacal ass kicker. Uh, that would whip you if you looked at him the wrong way. So, uh, you know, would be nice to have more of that in wrestling in 2015. Cause it's just so cool. It was always one of my favorite things about wrestling was the, the crazy monster like character. You know, I was a fan of horror movies. Like, and you know, when you want monsters, you want believable monsters, scary individuals who can hurt you. Uh, and the Mongolian Stomper embodied that. And then also we lost Iron Mike Sharp, age 64, of course, famous for. Uh, being a regular WWF superstar in the early to mid eighties uh, in enhancement matches. Uh, great worker, made a lot of guys look good for a long time, uh, known as an eccentric personality. And a lot of crazy stories about iron Mike's frugalness he was a second generation wrestler. And certainly a guy uh, by all accounts, a great human being and well loved. So rest in peace, the Mongolian stomper and iron Mike sharp. And also in a bit of sad news, uh, Gypsy Joe, my great uncle, who is, in my opinion, a wrestling legend and an all-time great. Uh, many others share that, by the way, and some don't, uh, but he's not doing good. Not good, doing good, folks. Of course, he just celebrated his 82nd birthday this past December. Um, he's about the same age as my grandfather, who passed away due to cancer last year about this time. And, you know, it's very interesting because my, my grandpa is a very clean-living, like straight-laced guy. And then you have Gypsy, who is a wrestler, so say no more, uh, especially from that, that era and time period. And he ended up outliving my grandpa. But now, unfortunately, his daughter Janae, my cousin, tells me that he's not doing too well. Uh, he, he's been in and out of the hospital over the last few weeks. Um, he had just got out on Tuesday and then was readmitted into the ICU uh, just uh, two days later. So, uh, that of last week, it, it just, ah, uh, they're... Prognosis ain't good at that age, of course, you know, anything's bound to happen, but, you know, it uh, still still sucks, and uh, I just hope that, uh, you know, hope that uh, he, hope he doesn't suffer. Hope he doesn't suffer uh, like I watched my grandpa suffer, because that was brutal, and not something, not an event I would wish on my worst enemy. But so, yeah, so keep Gypsy Joe in your thoughts and your prayers. If you do that kind of thing, uh, it would be appreciated. Uh, his daughter already dealt with uh, losing her mom due to cancer a few years ago, and it was a pretty brutal scene as well. So um not, not happy to hear that, that Joe's in, in ICU and is maybe taking a bad turn. Try to keep you updated as I hear things on that. I know a lot of people, especially during the time where I was his booking agent, a lot of people would depend on me for news on Gypsy Joe and his whereabouts. Uh, so I. You know, if I'm one of those people that you count on for that, I'll, I'll try to have you an update. Um, but moving along, just move along, talk a little bit about some of the things I've been involved in lately. The matchmaking and commissioner of Empire Wrestling in Rossville, Georgia, 22 Austin Avenue, Rossville, Georgia at the Empire Arena, facebook.com slash wrestling, empire wrestling, empirewrestling.net and on Twitter at EmpirePW. Some quick results for the January 23rd event Joey uh Johnny Viper defeated Matt Fortune in the opening contest. Joey Lynch defeated his brother, the Baniac, in one-on-one competition. Both matches qualified those men to enter the ladder match for the Junior Heavyweight Championship at a long, cold winter. Gunnar Miller defeated KT Hamill. Empire champion Bobby the Butcher Hayes defeated Chris Gans in non-title action. Logan Alvey defeated Drew Delight by disqualification when Rush interfered, leading Gunnar Miller making the save. Myself, being the interim commissioner... I came in and said, no, you're not going to screw these people out of a main event. And I gave it. I made them a tag team match. So it turned into a tag match. And in said tag team match, Gunnar Miller and Logan Alvey defeated Rush and Drew Delight via pinfall. We return on January 30th to be the last stop before long, cold winter on February 6th, which will be headlined by the Empire Heavyweight Champion, The Butcher, Bobby Hayes, defending the title against the winner of Battle Bowl 2016, the seven-figure deal, Ace Rockwell. This Empire Tag Team Championship will be on the line as well as Livewire Entertainment. The team of Mr. Sports Entertainment and the Livewire Corey Cox will take on the White Rose consisting of the brothers Hamill, Keith, and KT. Also, again, the eight-man ladder match for the vacant Empire Junior Heavyweight Championship. Confirmed so far, Johnny Viper, Joey Lynch, The Maniac, and Chris Gans. Four spots remain. I will also be appearing Back in Cornelia, Georgia, the arena that I just mentioned earlier in the program, a big homecoming on February 27th for round two of the why we wrestle heavyweight championship tournament. The strong style psycho tank will be competing. I will be in his corner. He will be taking on the winner of the Jeter and CB suave match to occur this weekend. So whoever wins that match, you got your work cut out for you. I promise you that I I have a feeling I know who. But, uh, you know, you never count out CB Suave. He's a hell of a competitor. Jeter's just such a monster. Like, I, I don't know how Suave beats him unless it's by DQ or something like that. But we're keeping our eye open because the winner gets tank and he is ready for a fight on February 27th for round two of the Why We Wrestle tournament. And we'll be returning there again on March the 26th for Hardcore Hell 2016 a huge homecoming, the return of the rejects to Hardcore Hell for the first time in a few years, and it will be taking on Masada. That's right, the matchup that was postponed from the first round now will be taking place in non-tournament action and Hardcore Hell 2016. You don't want to miss that. You can check out Why We Wrestle on Facebook at facebook.com slash anarchycornelia, on Twitter at why do you wrestle. I will also be appearing for New South Wrestling in Heart Cell, Alabama on Saturday night, March the 12th, for We Love Wrestling. The Strong Style Psychotank will be there. Again, I will be managing him. And we're looking for a fight with the biggest, baddest dudes, uh, allegedly, in New South Wrestling, Dump Sanders. So... You know what you do when you go into prison? You find the biggest dude and you knock him in the mouth. And that's exactly what we're doing here at New South Wrestling. Because there's no true monster anywhere that Tank is competing except for Tank. End of story. Period. Period. End of story. No further discussion. But there'll be a big card that night in addition to Tank and his happenings. J.W. Murdoch, John Wayne Murdoch from IWA Mid-South will be taking on the strongman, Peter Casa. AR Fox and Team IOU debuts and more. You can find them on social media at uh, facebook.com slash new south wrestling. And on Twitter at new south underscore PW. Also want to get a quick plug for my buddy Al Getz at Woo Wrestling. Facebook.com slash woo wrestling.net on Twitter at Woo Wrestling. That's Woo like Woo. The nature boy Ric Flair. W-H-O-O. Woo Wrestling. And order your copy of the Scenic City Invitational Tournament. A very popular event from 2015, still selling like hotcakes. Definitely want to go over there and get your copy. But while you're there, absolutely for 100% free in celebration of AJ Styles' debut in the WWE, we have for you 100% free Jimmy Rave versus AJ Styles from Pro South Wrestling available. From Wu Wrestling, myself and Al Getz on commentary. It was a great reunion of the Wild Side crew. Uh happened in Alabama in front of a hot and raucous crowd. And it's definitely a match you want to check out. Don't miss it. It was rated by many as a match of the year contender. And uh, definitely a hell of a contest between two greats. And now one of them, of course, you see as a new WWE superstar. And also got a new podcast coming out pretty soon. It'll be called... Somehow we manage. Also with Al Getz for the website wrestlingwithwords.com. More details about the debut and the first episodes. I will begin pre-production this week. And uh, looking about four weeks out probably for the first episode, but I will give you the dirty details coming real soon. And always if you want to book me, feel free to do so. If you need a example of what I can do, go to youtube.com slash potty humor we have got playlists there. There's a playlist of many of my announcing highlights over the years and many of my managerial highlights as well. You can book me, send me an email dragonsrejects at gmail.com. And I would be happy to discuss business terms with you and what I can bring to your professional wrestling product and how to help get your talent over in the spot, whether it be as a manager or an announcer and what I'm paid to do. So, Look forward to hearing from you. But right now, we got a quick parody song for you. We'll be back with our featured segment talking about the funniest moments in professional wrestling in our playing favorite special. Uh The parody song, mixing Hank Williams Jr. and Weird Al Yankovic. I hope nobody takes us too seriously. I certainly wasn't. A little bit of self-depreciation in there, poking fun at some of the older generation and the new generation. The sad, if you just listen to the song, it sounds like an old guy bitching about the younger generation. And I am often accused of being one of those. But I also... Came up in the later generation. So, you know, I have a love and respect for some of that style of wrestling. So I'm kind of a guy caught in the middle. So I can kind of see it from both sides. And uh, I try to, to poke fun kind of at both sides of this. But it's uh, Pro Wrestling Dinosaur here on the Midnight Black Mass. Performed by yours truly. Hey man, them ain't amateur sneakers And the short sure don't look like wrestling boots And that ain't Dusty Road, you're aping. And it sure ain't Gypsy, Punky, or Hoot You're doing too many damn false finishes well emotionless spot fests really don't turn me on. And we don't all get in the fight spirit. And do you happen to know any old Jackie Fargo promos? Don't you see I'm a dinosaur. I should have died out a long time before. How pretty on a dinosaur hand me my bag excuse me man where's the door? Used to be I had a lot of fun on the road making towns I get stoned in the rain truck and hang out with rats and now and then, David Young would draw a dick on your face. And if you were a shitbird, Tank would stretch your ass. And you know these flashy spots sure make me dizzy. And nobody's selling a strange to my eyes. And it looks like they turned the Omni into a hotel. And I should be leaving soon, but there's one more run in sight. Because you see, I'm a dinosaur. I should have died out a long time before. I pity on a dinosaur. Mm, give us our bags. Excuse me, Booker Man, where's the door? Give us our bags. Excuse me, Booker Man, where's my payoff? And the door.
2: And we're back on the Midnight Black Mass on the Potty Humor Network. Focus on the humor here on this segment of the program. We're playing favorites once again. And this time we're looking at um, It's going to be part playing favorites, part just general discussion on an interesting topic. Talking about comedy in wrestling. What do you think about comedy in and wrestling, Andrew? I like it. I think it's got a good place for the most part. I think so. I think so. Overall, uh, my general opinion is there there is a place for comedy in wrestling. It's typically on the lower end of the card, um, and it's used to you know break up the monotony of just a bunch of serious wrestling. Uh, sometimes, in the exception case and not the rule, it might work in a main event scenario, uh, and it really depends on the context, in my opinion. Um, if you're embarrassing the heel, if you're humiliating them and it's at their expense, then I think you know it does absolutely work in a main event type scenario. Other types of situations, it would be very circumstantial. Like The Rock can certainly get away with it. And everybody else, not so much.
3: Yeah, it just—it uh, really depends on the person, and it depends on the situation. I mean, sure, The Rock can pretty much clown anyone, any time. Uh, but then, you know, somebody maybe an angle where he's getting—he gets fucked up or something. They bust him over, and he, uh, open and he gets the color. Back in the day, something like that. You know, you you get a little more serious. And that kind of goes for uh, for most people. But, yeah, in a, in a main event situation, you don't really – you may see uh, – I'm not saying there's not – That wouldn't be any comedy or a comedic spot or something like that, but usually uh, it's not for the top of the card. But I, I definitely think there's always a place for it, uh, as long as you're using the right people and doing it in the right circumstances, which, which I think most times most people do. Uh, you know, there's – there's been times where it's done with the wrong person in the wrong situation and kind of exposes a character or goes against what
2: a character would normally be. But
3: I think that that's a little few and far between, I believe.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I I think also uh, there's the incidental comedy, uh, the unplanned comedic spots that uh, oftentimes are as funny or funnier than something that was planned and uh going to get into that because, you know, when we talk about the list, uh, the picks that we had, just of different things to talk about, um, a lot of mine were unintentional comedy, just things that happened that were just so damn funny you couldn't help but die, you know, <laughs> like, uh, which is a whole different can of worms in one aspect, but in any other aspect not, um, because, you know, you still ended up with the same reaction, <laughs> Uh,
3: yeah, this, this list was kind of hard to put together. Uh, I mean, the discussion itself is easy. Uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of comedic things happen over through the, throughout the history of wrestling. And, uh, a lot of it, a lot of things have been really funny, but they're not to where you just linger on them constantly and look back and just want to rewatch it and things such as that. And you're like, Oh yeah, that is funny. That's good. And, uh, you kind of move on, so I went with a, I went with a uh, uh, kind of a, a big comedic thing that was done, and then something that's just so outlandish and ridiculous, and then kind of a, uh, I picked one thing, but it was basically part of a huge topic we'll discuss. But yeah, I'm very interested to hear what you come up with here. Uh, I mean, comedy's done. Comedy's done a, a, a lot of different ways. With it be like maybe backstage vignettes and videos, or uh, you know, sometimes you get those characters that are completely co- comedic, and they're, they provide comedy like pretty much every time. And you know, for the majority of their career, uh, you know, recent memory, think of like Santino Morella. He was probably he's been the last guy for the past decade or so that's just been constant comedy. And I think he was really good at it. Like, he he was so ridiculous and did some some pretty funny stuff. And then you get guys that, like, aren't necessarily known for their comedy. But when I I think of uh, William Regal, is anytime he's the the serious technical wrestler and he's just, uh, everybody knows he's a great worker. But that guy's funny as fuck. Like, anytime I've seen him do anything comedic, it's hilarious. And then, you know, hearing him do interviews and podcasts where it turns out that that's, like, his biggest love. Like, that in wrestling is what he loves. Like, the old – he grew up on the old British comedy, and which is very different, but uh, he was just such a fan of that. So, like, all he wanted to do was wrestle and be a comedian. So it's kind of interesting to, when you find that out. But that that dude's fucking hilarious. But, you know, there's those guys you expect it from, and then every now and then you get somebody that you don't even think of as being funny, and then you're like, wow, that's that's hilarious. Who knew they had it in them?
2: Yeah. And, and you know, you like all, almost all like good heel managers are funny at some level. Um, they have to, to tread a fine line because you become too funny. You're just out there doing a damn stand-up comedian act. Whereas uh, you know, if if you inter, intersperse just enough humor into the discussion, into the promo, uh, you know you can have people laugh at you and also think you're an asshole. Uh, it, you know, so that's that's something that happens, but you gotta gotta walk that line. Uh, but there's a lot of my favorite, like Jim Cornette's face going into the birthday cake never gets old. Like it, it's silly. It's like the way he sells it and flails around. I'll tell you one. I didn't make my list, but um, actually, no, I'm replacing something on my list, and it's going to be my number three, so um, we actually can go ahead and get into the countdown if you want to, just speak into that. Okay, well, what's your number three? My number three, greatest comedic spot of all time, NWA Wildside, 2002, 2001, I'm sorry. Um, the feud was All That Adam Jacobs against Onyx for the television championship. And Jeff G. Bailey was the slimy attorney, manager of Adam Jacobs, and also at the time the CEO of Wildside uh, after a, a match had happened where the company was at stake and he ended up winning. So, um, so Bailey he was six, big,
3: he must have been pulling in six figures as CEO of that company.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. So, uh, he, you know, and he, we like developed this great entourage for Bailey. He had, uh, former Memphis manager, Big Business Brown of USWA fame, who was just as wonderful as a fat, bumbling buffoon. And, I mean, I swear he sweated, like, when he fucking picked up his telephone. So, I, I like, he's just out there with a sweat rag, just pouring sweat all the time. And he's like Bailey's lackey. He was, the, the gimmick was that he was, uh he was Jeff G. Bailey's uh, money mark. I mean, financial consultant, uh to the NWA elite. <laughs> and so uh he was just so great as the, the like the three stooges buffoon. Like like Bailey was, you know, all serious uh asshole all the time, like just like getting the heat piled on, such a dick. And Big Vince Brown to counteract that was more lighthearted, hearted and he was his great own comedic act in my opinion that never really got the credit that he was due. Wouldn't have worked if he didn't have Bailey as the the somewhat straight man you know so it was like a classic like evil villain and his henchman <laughs> type role and and big <laughs> business was the perfect bumbling henchman and you know every time somebody like fucking pissed off big biz or we did some shit where uh white trash stunk up the shitter one time and fucking came out of there and big business was trying to go in there and he Uh, It was cussing at him, telling him, he's going, wait till the chancellor hears about this. (laughs) fucking runs off. But anyway, I'm veering way off topic. So just to to give you an idea of the entourage Bailey had going on. So he had a a bumbling buffoon. He had the whole NWA elite, which was like suicidal tendencies. It was uh, Paris and John Phoenix and Adam Jacobs and Jason Cross and Abyss, like all in his stable at the time. So, you know, they were running roughshod over everybody. Um, Onyx had just defeated Adam Jacobs after a long feud for the Wildside television championship. Well, Onyx was, you know, if, if you not familiar with Wildside, side, that's listening to this, he was a big jacked up black dude. It, it, he was, uh, he was not very tall. He was a pretty short guy, but he was as wide as a freight train. And, uh, <laughs> it's just ripped to shreds. Like, like stupid amount of muscle on this dude's frame. Uh, and, you know, he was, like, a great power wrestler cruiserweight. Uh, think Apollo Cruz, like, before his time. He maybe wasn't, like, as agile, but he could do a lot of shit. Like, Onyx was pretty good in his day. Uh, he got so big, at some point, he was almost immobile, and his wrestling style changed a lot. You know, he just kept putting on the muscle. Uh, but, it, anyway, he was a hugely popular babyface. So, they, he beats Adam Jacobs for the TV title. And Bayley, in protest, says that there's no way he's clearly and cleanly defeated Adam Jacobs because he was using performance-enhancing drugs. And so he should be disqualified for winning the TV title because he was using steroids. And so Bailey demanded a urine test live on Wildside Television. So they would get a nurse out there, like the whole lab work, everything's official, uh, they make Onyx go back and provide a sample. And so they come back after the commercial break and go in the ring and are right, we're going to find out. You know, Is Onyx going to get stripped of the TV title? Is it going back to Adam Jacobs? What's the deal? So they pull it out. Bailey has the nurse read the results live on the air, and we find out that the specimen is clean. And of course, Bailey loses his shit. He's like, there's no way. You know, he's like throwing, flailing his arms and cussing out the nurse. And shit. while he's berating the nurse over giving the uh, negative drug test, Onyx takes the piss sample and unscrews the lid. He then takes said piss sample and throws it in Jeff G. Bailey's face. <laughs> And Bailey takes the huge bump as if he just got hit with the fucking lariat from Stan Hansen off of the piss. And he's rolling around on the ground screaming,
1: It's urine! It's urine! (laughs) My
2: eyes! (laughs) And, of course, the crowd goes fucking nuts. Everybody bails from the ring. Bailey pitches with the most epic temper tantrum. People are going fucking ape shit, throwing babies in the air. And like the, the <laughs> most serious, like, asshole manager that never did a comedy spot of any kind is laying in a puddle of his opponent's piss in the middle of the ring. And Andrew Thomas, uh, now a TNA video crew man, uh, who's one of the, the chief editors up there still, I do believe, uh, he was the wild side video editor and he did a great piece. As we came, a little bumper going into commercial break after the segment, he slowed it down and he played Gigi Allen's Pissing on Tolstoy, which, if you're not familiar with that song, goes. I want to piss on you. I want to piss on you. I want to <laughs> piss on you. I want to piss on you. And so he plays that in the background and it's the slow motion shot of the piss just covering Jeff's face. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, that's my
3: <laughs> that is And some, some similar things like that have been done, uh, throughout wrestling history over time. Uh, probably a lot of a lot of places we don't even know about but it's it's definitely happened before. In reality that's probably funnier than anything on my list. Uh
1: and I did think
3: <laughs> about spots like that cause, uh there there's been a piss segment at Empire Wrestling in the last few uh not that long ago and uh you know and they, they did it at WWE one time and and that that that's hilarious. I mean that that type of stuff never gets old. But um uh, my number three I went with something big like I, I do like when guys will do like impersonations of the person they're feuding with or their opponent and just clown them. Sometimes it's done extremely poorly. Sometimes it's pretty entertaining, you know, when the guy comes out in the their opponent's gear or in their T-shirt, whatever, and just makes fun of them. Uh, you know, The Rock never really dressed up like people, but he would always, you know, kind of make fun of their voices and their catchphrases and stuff and was really good at that. But my number three... It's a big segment that I, everyone's seen, obviously, and that's when the first time that DX impersonated the Nation of Domination on Raw. And I just look back to that, and a lot of stuff, I'm, I am may be in the minority because everyone loves the Attitude Era, but a lot of stuff in the Attitude Era doesn't hold up to me. I just really don't enjoy watching it. But that shit was so freaking funny when... And 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 you know, it had been done a few times since uh, before then and it's done been, been done a hundred times since. But that just seems like the best one ever, uh the best impersonation and clowning of a of a heel. And it was a whole group, you know, you had five people out there and they were all kind of uh doing people and and then the the DX did it the next year with like the corp the corporation, which was also really, really hilarious. But that first one where they made fun of the Nation of Domination just sticks out in my mind as one of the funniest
2: things ever. Yeah, and my God, they could never get away with doing that now. That <laughs> They would have so many sponsors pulled the second that hit the air. Uh, it's just crazy how things have evolved, um, but yeah, that that was really funny. Like X Pac was the MVP of that one, in my opinion. Yeah, and he he was in blackface for Mark Henry, and he
3: he said he said I don't smell what you're cooking. It smells like shit, but I think I'll eat some anyway. Yeah, and they would be booted off the air immediately if they said that now, which is so crazy to think about. And they probably did things a lot more outlandish than that, but that guy was so fucked. He was Mizark Henry. <laughs> I always thought uh I always thought Road Dog kinda had the easiest easiest part but was kind of the, the M V P when he just kept doing D lo and repeating everything the rock said and like bobbling his head everywhere. It it was so easy <laughs> but it was hilarious.
2: And Billy Gunn did absolutely nothing as the Godfather.
3: <laughs> yeah, was like just like, and just just like well,
2: there. I don't have to do shit, so cool.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I know when they, I know when they redid it. Uh, I think China did the big boss man, and she got out the baton and she did this little routine where she threw it around and shit, uh, getting her in on the act a little bit the second time, but. That that first one it, it holds up, and the the WWE, WWF, whatever. They, from that point till now, they've done a lot of comedic stuff. It's just you roll your eyes at, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is so bad!" And it's sometimes they do it with the wrong person, or they just make people look really foolish. But they, they've done they've definitely done a lot over the years that has has been well done and really came across as you know served its purpose and was what it was and was really funny, and that was
2: that was definitely probably the biggest one. Right on. Well, my number two, tough one. I had a few here on the list that would make the cut, so it's hard to kind of narrow them down, but um, I'm actually going to go with Hulk Hogan in the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> 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 when he's exploring the dungeons, And the water is pouring down from a waterfall, and he sticks his hand in, and he fervently lets the audience know it's not hot. (laughs) It's not hot, right?
3: That's definitely. I'm I'm assuming that was one of your accidentally funny
2: ones. uh, Yes, of course. Yeah, I I don't think it was intentional, but like the first time I saw it, I laughed my balls off. And every time since, I laugh my balls (laughs) off. It's just fucking hysterical. Like, how the hell? How was someone
3: not on that set or doing video editing, how was someone not there that heard him do that and didn't say, "Uh, excuse me, we need to redo that because it's not supposed to be hot. Like, you shouldn't freak out that it's not hot.
1: (laughs) It's not hot. I mean, but and that,
3: that is the best line. That is definitely the best line and the funniest part of that. But that whole fucking situation is funny. But when he comes in, he busts into the dungeon, and he looks up, and he goes, what's he say? What is this? Where am I? There's no Hulkamaniacs here.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, that whole segment goes in there. Um, he's there's like no, the no Hulkamaniacs here. <laughs> Oh, fuck! That shit was just so ridiculous like like there's so many questions I have, like why wasn't it hot, and why did he care that it wasn't hot? Was it supposed to be hot? Was that what shocked him? Was it supposed to be cold? like I don't fucking understand what prompts the reaction of it's not hot
1: you could-
3: I think you could take like a you could make a video montage of Hulk Hogan's greatest hit. And make one of his greatest misses, and they would be the same old, same amount of time. They would be the same week.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> There's no hulkamaniacs here. Hulkamaniacs are always found in dungeon,
1: random strange dungeon. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's a that's a great pick. That that could be number one on the
2: list for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, it almost was.
3: Oh, I mean, I didn't know we were going to go shit-tacular comedy because that probably would have been I my number you, one. But I it
2: could be unintentional.
3: <laughs> uh, okay, my number two. I, I, I'm going to pinpoint one thing that just always sticks out in my mind, and I can't remember. I can't remember specific lines, but like if I watch, if I watch this guy, if I watch old matches, he's do, doing commentary. The lines will come back to me like right before he says them, and I'm like, God, he's so fucking great. But Bobby the Brain Heenan is, like, he's probably the funniest guy ever, ever. Like, he could be
1: be really
3: serious. He could be really serious, and he's so good at that. But when he was doing commentary and things such as that with – it doesn't matter really who it was. With Gorilla Monsoon, with Mean Gene Okerlund, with with all these guys, especially when he would do commentary with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, God, it was just always – it was – so good! It was so entertaining, so funny, so classic. Still telling stories, but there would always be this, these lines. But my my specific thing I'm going to, and there's a lot to pick from. But this just I just always remember this, and people listening will have to find it and go back and watch. And hey, I'm not saying you're gonna fall on the ground laughing, and it's not so hilarious, like it's not hot that you'll piss yourself. But on those old and I'm sure you remember the old WWF Coliseum videos where they would have these ridiculous video-like features of various wrestlers doing various things. Oh, on yeah. one, I'm I'm pretty sure it was on a, a video called Rampage 91. Bobby Heenan and Mean Gene Okerlund went to play golf, and they're just going around talking like in between matches, uh, shooting a game of golf. And Bobby Heenan is just so on, he's dressed so ridiculous, and, and they play so well off each other, and I know that Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon are kind of the, the known duo from back in the day, and they were great, but Gene Okerlund just, I don't think he gets the credit for being so fucking entertaining in those spots, and they're just doing shit, and Bobby Heenan's so bad, and he distracts Gene Okerlund, and he picks up the ball and throws it, and just just simple shit like that, but it was just so great, and... I could I could just watch that that type of stuff all day
0: from him. I
3: remember, I think, I think SummerSlam '91. He's commentating with Roddy Piper, and they're saying something, and he says, he says, he said, Roddy, I heard a rumor once that you came home from school and found out that your parents ran away from home. <laughs> and, and I just always thought that was such a great line. And of course, Piper would like start to jump down his throat, and he would always backpedal and. Uh, he, he, he could watch the Royal Rumble '92 when he's doing the commentary during that whole match with Guerrilla Monsoon, and it it's so good. Like it it adds to that match so much, and that guy's just he he's got to be he's got to be the the most the most entertaining character ever.
2: Yeah, that, like he had the comedic timing of a famous stand-up comedian. Uh, like he was just so good beyond wrestling. He was too good for wrestling. He Wrestling was just blessed to have him uh, because he really should have been in film and television. I mean, the guy was just, uh, he was just brilliant and everything, like, some of the shit he would come up with, like, hey, Gorilla, how's, how's Tito Santana like a cue ball? Like, oh, I don't know, right, how? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the harder
2: you hit him the more English you get. <laughs> oh, he
3: will you stop?
1: That... <laughs> Would you please?
3: I'm going to have security escort you out of here. <laughs> I mean, he definitely had lines that you couldn't get away with nowadays, but oh man, it's so it's so good. So fun. And and that's something that's missing today and I'm not I'm not going to harp on the commentary on the WWE now, and everybody has problems with it. And I really, I think those guys get kind of a bad rap because you know that can't be an easy job to do, especially this day and time. But used to, you could have, you know, you could have a not so entertaining match, but the commentary would keep you engaged because it was entertaining. Whether you have a, a Gene Okerlund, Piper, you know, Vince back in the day. Um, uh, Jesse Ventura was great. You know, uh, they kind of had a real hot streak there for a while of just having, you know, first-class commentary. And that's just because it's just kind of missing nowadays. It's definitely not the same. It's not It's not as good as it used to be.
2: Yeah, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Well, I was going to kind of talk about him a little bit in a similar capacity for my number one, two. So um, that's actually... Cool that you did that, Um, because I can now add another unintentionally hilarious moment, and it has to be worth discussing. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about the Shockmaster. (laughs) (laughs) Who is the Shockmaster, may you ask, if you did not know? Well, if you were a fan of the WWF in the early 90s, you probably remember a very popular babyface character named Tugboat. A lot of smart wrestling fans like to shit on Tugboat now. But trust me, if it was 1991, you'd have been tooting that fucking horn just like everybody else, pally, uh, because <laughs> he might not have been fast or whatever, but people loved that motherfucker at the time. And then he turned heel and Hulk Hogan, and they didn't love him so much no more. And he became Typhoon, uh, and had a great tag team run with the Earthquake as the natural disasters, and... Ended up turning back Babyface and having a little run there before leaving the company. Uh, and then, of course, he goes over to WCW. So he's going to debut in a new role there as the Shockmaster. Uh, I'm not sure whose creation it was. Um, some say Dusty. Some say Ole. I'm not really sure. But it's Tugboat in uh, like basically like a denim outfit, <laughs> like a d- denim pants and a denim jacket and uh, like some cut-off sleeves and uh, the sparkly stormtrooper helmet, and he was going to debut on Flare for the Gold by crashing through the wall, making a thunderous entrance, and uh, scaring off the evil Sid Vicious, uh, who was out there talking some mad shit. And uh, so <laughs> here comes the segment. Boom, the wall breaks open. Here comes the Shockmaster. Well, he trips over the fucking wall and falls face first right on his mouth and the fucking helmet goes fucking falling off and the british bulldog david boy smith who was on the show there uh standing over here in the corner just laughing his fucking ass off and you can audibly hear him <laughs> He's like, oh, 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 on his fucking ass <laughs> Like, oh, uh, like, it, it was, like, bad shit. It's, I feel bad for because apparently, the, like, Fred Ottman, the, the man behind the Shockmaster, Tugboat Typhoon, sweetheart <laughs> of a guy and is apparently, like, uh like really cool, laid back about shit, and, you know, like like I said, he had a good run up until that point, and, you know, I don't think he ever really recovered from it, unfortunately. Uh, but I, it, here's something really funny about the Shockmaster, too. Like, this is just the craziness of the internet. You know, I just observe people a lot of the times. I don't comment. I don't step in. I just observe. And I see, like, somebody on my friends list is, like, it, it wasn't somebody I was friends with, but it showed up in my feed because somebody commented on it. And it was some, like, fucking terrible indie wrestler. Like making fun of the shock master, talking about, oh, that guy fucking sucks and he's a fucking retard and what kind of fucking idiot. He was a shit bird worker, blah, 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 blah. And fucking the Shockmaster fucking comments on his Spanish. <laughs> and what? And he's like, hey, man, be nice. And he's like, oh, oh sorry, bro.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> You know, and it
3: and it is a shame. It is a shame that um, I mean that's definitely what he'll always be remembered for. And it was a, it was a great moment in WCW history. But yeah, man, like the natural disasters uh, as a tag team, their run was not extremely long. It, I definitely don't think it was as long as it could have been, but I thought they were a good fucking team, man, and like. Earthquake could all. I mean, I think people forget that Earthquake was pretty good. Like he wasn't, he didn't move around. Maybe like an Undertaker or Yokozuna or a Bam Bam Bigelow, but that guy could still he could still move for his size, and he was a hell of a worker. And uh, especially for that time frame, and those two teaming up, I mean they were they were a monster heel team. I think they turned them babyface a little too quick, and just kind of rushed their runs. But uh and I mean even Tugboat, like you said, he he was over the baby face, but those two as a team I think I think
2: kind of are an underrated group for sure. They were great foils to the Road Warriors at the time. Like they, they I I really dug that feud and thought they might have coulda gone more with it, you know. It was like not four guys known for their technical wrestling prowess, but you know, people believe those guys would go out there and throw down in a fucking fight.
3: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It was believable. I mean, yeah, the Road Warriors would be unstoppable guys, but here you had a pair of four hundred pounders that you know could take it to them and everything. And um, I, I really liked them as a team. And looking back, uh, I mean, that was just a, that was just such a great time in, in wrestling in both companies, WWF and WCW. But uh, the, I mean, the Shockmaster is definitely. Uh, it's definitely hilarious. That'd probably be on anyone's list, especially if you're looking at unintentional funny things. You know, and I don't know what they were trying to get out of that because it was, you know, obviously it was supposed to be serious. He wasn't supposed to fall, but if they took a stormtrooper helmet and just had some fifth grader just glitter the glitter the hell out of it. You know, so I don't, I don't know where they were going with that. You said some some say. Some give credit to Dusty, some give credit to Oli. I think some people blame Dusty, and some people blame Oli. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that would probably be
3: more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it seems like a nice guy, and it sucks that that's kind of his the flag that he's planted in the wrestling business. But my number one,
1: <laughs>
3: I just couldn't help it. I had, and I, It's so horrible, but it's so funny. It's so wrong. It's like wrong. It's one of these things that if you watch with a group of people, like the wrong group of people, you'd be so uncomfortable watching it. But it has to be <laughs> the funniest thing ever in professional wrestling history. And and, and what makes it even funnier is because it wasn't like intended to be like, I mean, I'm sure it was intended, but it was presented to you like, this isn't funny. This is just who this man is. But the opening the introduction and the music video for Slick's "Jive Soul Bro" from *Piledriver: The Wrestling Album* is the funniest thing that's ever aired on a professional wrestling program in the history of wrestling. Have you seen it? <laughs> oh yes, of course. It's so horribly, horribly racist. <laughs> I'm surprised this hasn't come up. Like, when people talk about, oh, wrestling is racist and Vince McMahon is racist, the WWE is racist, they present all of these cases, but this is never brought up. And it's the most racist thing ever. Like, the list of racism goes, like, hanging black people, slick jive soul bro number two. Like, it's it's so ungodly <laughs> racist. <laughs> But it's hilarious. You can't help but laugh. The introduction, and he's in like a KFC, (laughs) and the camera catches, and he goes, man, can't you just leave a brother in peace? Can't you see that I'm trying to eat my yard bird? (laughs) And it all goes downhill from there. And then the video itself plays, and that song is awesome, and it's like the greatest entrance theme ever. (laughs) And I believe it wasn't on your list of – favorites of entrance scenes? I believe it was.
2: Oh, fuck yeah, it was. I love that fucking song.
3: Yeah, that song's great. The video's great, and then it comes back and he tries to dip out without paying his yard for his yard bird, and the manager catches him. It's awesome. If if people listening have not seen that, you have to YouTube it right now and hope that you can find it in its entirety, because it, it's so hilarious. But it's awful. It'll make you feel like a, a bad person for laughing at it, but you will laugh.
2: Yeah, I mean, the absurdity alone is what's hilarious about it, like, that they had the balls, to, even in, like, 1988, to put something like that out there on the fucking television, like, god damn, that's some balls, like, that's some real balls, because that shit belongs in a fucking, like, uh, a, like Al Jolson fucking blackface routine, you know, like, it, it, it's, it's on that level. Yeah, I mean, Slick, you know, he just, he went along
3: with it. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't having any any disputes, and he nailed it, and uh, I, in my opinion, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I think, I mean, is there a more underrated manager than Slick? Not in my mind, because all the great managers, I, th- I feel that they get their due, like, you know, there's some that aren't talking, you know, a Gary Hart isn't thrown into the conversation with Jim Cornette and Bobby Heenan and Paul Heyman as much as he should be. But, you know, people still know how good he was. I just think Slick was so, so good, and he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. He's he's not brought up, you know, one one-hundredth as all these other guys. And he was so well, funny, and he, and he had good talent. Like, you know, he managed a string of, of
2: pretty good talent there for a while. He was good. Um, I've often asked that question as well, and I think if you really break it down, like his content wasn't necessarily to the level of those other guys. I mean, he could still get that heat like no other at the time, Uh, but I think his promo content was kind of, like, basic shticky. Like, it wasn't nearly as clever as a Heenan. Uh, But I'd say... I mean, and, you know, probably manager sacrilege, but as far as his WWF run goes, it was, uh, his content was of a higher grade than Jimmy Hart's. Uh,
3: I mean, yeah, I mean, that's tough to say because Jimmy Hart was just around a long time and he had a very, he had a great look, a unique presence and character, uh and, yeah, he was, and, he and,
2: he he, and he didn't have to do nothing special. Like he didn't have to, to like have a bunch of like long, flowery, great promos. It wasn't what Jimmy called for. But you know, if you're just grading on the content of interviews, flicks would have been superior to Jimmy's in the Fed. Now, you take Memphis into consideration; it's a whole other ball game. But uh, you know, in, in WWF, Jimmy Hart was like a very specific character. Yeah, yeah.
3: And I and I think I think people that kind of know will understand what we're what we're saying there. And I I kind of agree with you there. Uh, and, and I don't I don't think I'm not saying Slick should be in the topic with these guys. I'm just saying when you start listing the great managers, people's just going to go through a long list of people. And I just don't think I just I I just don't think there's anybody that's going to bring him up and. Uh, he, he after after those after those big those you know, heavy hitters, those those guys we mentioned and J J. Dillon and uh, you know, uh even a Paul Bear or slash uh Percy Pringle, you know, the long list of guys I think I think once you get out of that that top rung, Slick's gotta be like right there. Uh
2: even is though he's run still alive? Be, is, is who? Is Slick still alive?
3: Uh, I believe so, to the best of my knowledge.
2: Hmm. To so track him down. Check him down. <laughs> anyway, and get him continue. On,
3: get him on the black mass. <laughs> be like we got the, the black masses tonight because we got the doctor
1: of style flick.
2: I mean, he's not doing like any wrestling related anything. If he is, so I don't know. But be be interested to see. Well, like, I've never really heard him speak much on his run or being in the business. I've heard various rumors of his relationship in the business. I've heard that he is Ernie Ladd's son, and I've heard also that he was Junkyard Dog's son. So I'm not really sure. I don't, I've not really done the investigation to know. Wow, I've never heard that. That's that's interesting. That's a quite. Interesting he's he's definitely there. somebody like related to somebody else in wrestling. That I know. And and but it. Are, as you to sure, are you sure you're not
3: saying that because you feel he looks like
2: every other black man in the business? No, I mean, my God, Ernie Ladd and <laughs> Junkyard Dog don't even look like the same dude.
3: Are you sure you're saying that because you think, surely, he had to have a relative get him in the business because the African-American man
2: doesn't belong in the business? Because
3: you told me that in private.
2: <laughs> the, the fuck I have. Uh, no, no, no. Like, uh, it, it, fucking, it's the wrestling business, motherfucker. Everybody's got a relative that gets them in. <laughs> That's very
3: true. Look at three well, that, quarters that of the WWE really,
2: roster. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, that that would be worth some research, but I've I've never heard that. That's very interesting, but I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't be true. have to look at the age and timeline and uh unfortunately can't confirm with those guys cuz they're no longer with us, but yeah, you know, so so we got to we got to track down the, the Slickster cuz he's a good man and he's the winner of the the funniest thing to ever happen wrestling awards.
2: Well, you know, I, I think the last I heard, he has actually moved on into the ministry. So the chances of getting him on the black mass are probably slim to none. We'll clean it up. I mean,
3: I mean, who who leaves the
2: wrestling business and goes to the ministry? No one
3: does that.
2: <laughs> right on. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, as far as comedy and wrestling, good discussion. Uh, Bottom line, I definitely think it has its place. Uh, I think the general adage of funny no money holds true for your main event type stuff, but it's all circumstantial. There are certain guys that can pull it off. There are certain scenarios that call for it, and there are certain scenarios that do not. Yeah,
3: and if you're going to have every match on the card be a blood feud, and everybody's fighting over something extremely personal, and it's a real heated rivalry, eventually you're going to run out of those stories to tell, and you're going to, you know, somewhere on the card, some feud is not going to be looked at as legitimate and as serious as maybe the top one. So not everything can be, oh, you fucking, you tried to kill my wife, and fuck her dead corpse, now I'm coming for blood, I'm coming for your head. Not every feud can be that. There has to be some that, oh, you shit in my shoe. Now I'm coming after you. I'm going to whip your ass. Like uh, Something for everybody. So uh, it's definitely got a good place on any card in my book.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I suppose that's going to wrap up the program. Um, I could talk a lot about comedy segments, but we only got a couple minutes left. I'm trying to think if there was anything else right before we sign off here that I just as far as favorite comedy segments. And maybe to make my list that I wanted to to briefly talk about. Um first, you know, talking about the shock master, talking about It's Not Hot talking about <laughs> Jeff G. Bailey I mean, if, we're talking about, if if we're talking about stuff
3: that's kinda of blown up on the internet, the Bret Hart promo about El Dandy is is pretty it's pretty fucking funny.
2: That's pretty good. Um <laughs>
3: Who are you to doubt El Dandy? <laughs> yeah.
2: He's a high flyer of
3: the highest magnitude. Uh, so, and he gets, and one, at one point when Oakland cuts him off, he has this smirk on his face like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like his company, like there's probably no one else in the room filming that promo and he's like, it'll air.
2: Yeah, he's like, nobody's gonna watch this. It'll fucking air. I promise. A lot of great ones in little promo segments. Um, just real quick because we're about to get cut off. But, um, do yourself a favor if you haven't seen Sid with the fucking uh fuck up on live T V. Uh where <laughs> he asked Jim Ross, uh, can we do this over? And he goes, Buddy, we're live <laughs> We're live, pal.
3: <laughs> but in Sid's defense he he takes it and he just keeps on going, like he doesn't he doesn't flip out. It could have been much worse, but yes, that that's a pretty funny funny shot too. God, we don't even have enough time to discuss Scott Steiner. If you go back and watch some of his promos, good God almighty. And I'm talking Big Papa Pump days. Whew, that That's pretty hilarious in its own right. Samoa Joe,
2: this is a muscle. You ain't got one because you're a fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's all, folks. Keep on putting the gunner, one fist in the goal. This is the for Andrew Alexander.
0: This has been a production of the Potty Humor Network. Find us online at youtube.com slash pottyhumor or subscribe to us weekly and never miss an episode by searching Potty Humor on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening and good night.